Welcome to On the Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Hi, I'm Andy Simon. And as you know, all my friends, I'm your host and your guide. My job is to help you see, feel, and think in new ways so what you can get off the brink. I want you to soar again. In these fast-changing times, we're going to have to reflect a lot about all the things that matter to us. So I go looking for interesting people who can help you do just that. And so today I have Frank Schaefer with us. You're going to love listening to Frank. I heard him at a friend's book club, and we sat around and listened to his wisdom. And his new book, got a copy right here, is, let's see, is Fall in Love, Have Children and Stay Put, Save the Planet. To tell you the truth, it's a fantastic book. I loved reading it, and I've been using it a little bit in some of the writing I'm doing. There's some profound insight here, but you're going to love his story and also what he would like you to do as he takes this story into the market. So a little bit about Frank. Frank Schaefer is a New York Times bestselling author of more than a dozen fiction and nonfiction books, including Crazy for God and Keeping Faith, a father-son story about love and the United States Marine Corps. He can tell you a little bit about that, too. He's a host of Facebook Live event and a podcast in conversation with Frank Schaefer. And his new book, Fall in Love, Have Children, Stay Put, Save the Planet, is available. And what you're going to do when you read it is go, oh, there's something magical here. Thank you, Frank, for joining me today. Hey, Andrea, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to talk to you again. This is our third conversation, once on my podcast, once in person and now here on your podcast. Well, it's a pleasure. Now, tell the listener about your own personal journey, because in that story, so much is captured about where we're going next. And Mm. you and I both know that the past has been well-structured for us. We're doing this and we're doing that. We're doing that. And the future is uh, an unanticipated opportunity for us to do clever things. Mm. So share with the listeners your own journey, please. Well, everybody thinks their life is a little bit unique, but I must say mine mine does strike me. I'm pushing 70 years old now and looking back with a little distance, I I have had an odd life. Um, I am the son of an evangelical pastor who became a worldwide phenomena in the 1970s and 80s by the name of Francis Schaeffer. And if you had been an ardent evangelical in, say, 1979 or 1983, you would have studied his books in your Christian high school. You would have studied his films and book series in your Christian college. If you had been homeschooled, probably his book on art and culture, um, How Should We Then Live, would have been the only art you were exposed to in that sort of closed environment. So my dad was an enormous personality, as was my mother, Edith Schaefer. And when I was a child, before they got famous, the mission that they started in Switzerland was a very humble little enterprise. I remember we only had meat on Sundays, sort of roast chicken and rice and gravy that was stretched to go to a lot of the kids who were staying in the mission. Then he got famous and everything changed. And by the time I was folded into the ministry in my late teens, believe it or not, and early 20s, I was making a film series with him called Whatever Happened to the Human Race with Dr. Sievert Koop, who became Ronald Reagan's Surgeon General. And in those days, I was literally flying around the country in a borrowed private jet that Jerry Falwell, the televangelist, had given our family to use to spread the message, as it were. And our message was straight up misogyny. It was the right wing evangelical view of women that women do not belong in the workplace, that they belong at home, and that um, abortion should be made illegal in all cases. And we were pushing that message. One little footnote that may interest folks listening, our biggest challenge at that time was pushing that message 
to other evangelical leaders like the Reverend Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, who were, listen carefully, pro-choice, and the editors of Christianity Today magazine, pro-choice. I think people forget, um, and this is a little bit of a side issue, but it's worth saying that the evangelical white nationalist movement we face now in the Donald Trump cult was not always this way. Back in the day, evangelicals had a lot to do with the abolitionist movement. They had a lot to do with civil rights. They had a lot to do with welcoming uh, Jews to America uh, as the Holocaust was threatening when many Americans did not. Now, there have always been the racists and the lynch mobs and all the rest, but these days they seem so monolithic and one note, we forget that. So sadly, sadly, tragically, uh, repentantly, uh, mea culpa, our family, assisted by me as a young, ambitious filmmaker who made these films and series that became household words in the evangelical community, helped turn evangelicals away from an inheritance of reaching out to people and helped turn them inward into this kind of white nationalist group that they've become today, that in the end, we finally see uh, parts of storming the Capitol in the name of Jesus a, a little while ago last January. So the arc of my own life basically sees several things. First of all, what real evangelical Christianity and a humble mission can be, open home, tolerant, kind. The, the power structure of the inside of the vast God machine and business in this country, which is very flaky, very dubious, very greedy, of which we became a part by the time we were done because of my dad's fame. And then in my walking away from it, and starting life over as a writer, starting with a novel called Portofino that's in nine languages, did very well, gave me permission to keep writing, got great reviews and so forth and so on. And in my life since of writing some memoirs about my journey out like Crazy for God that uh, Fresh Air with um, Terry Gross did a big series on or my book uh, that you mentioned before, Keeping Faith, a father-son story about love in the United States Marine Corps that, that Oprah made into a bestseller. I started moving into an environment that in a way had never even heard of my parents. And even in the age of Google, we live in such airtight compartments, as you know, Andrea, you, you know, it's like being a famous NASCAR driver, but to people who aren't into NASCAR, they've never heard of any of these guys. Well, similarly, I've had the odd experience of not hiding my background, but moving into a literary world of, of writing where I've been taken fairly seriously and have been lucky to do so because I've earned my living, um, having had no other means of income after I gave up the God business, by the way, I'd, I'd never been trained to do anything useful other than be a sidekick to my dad or take over the ministry. I was fortunate. I lucked out. I have I have some talent as a writer, which provided some income, by the way, far less income than I made in the high end of the God business, but an income nevertheless. OK, so that's part of the story. Then on the personal side, somewhere back there, um, I began to ask all sorts of questions and, and those really started when I married what I call my, my gorgeous San Francisco hippie princess, Jeannie, who stumbled into Libri by a mistake at 17 and 18. We got pregnant. That's 52 years ago. We're still together and we are happy and we have grandchildren. And that's what this book that you mentioned came out of, because for the last 12 years, Jeannie and I have been doing full time child care for the three youngest of our grandchildren, who are now Lucy, 12, Jack, 11. Nora Seven, who, by the way, literally moments ago, I dropped off at her house, having made her chicken soup and gone over to the barn and played her favorite game where she's the queen that comes out of Alice in Wonderland and holds court and occasionally yells off with her head. And I bought her a gavel and a judge's hammer 
and a, and a court <laughs> wig so she can play the whole part. So my life is as a writer. But if you ask me honestly, uh, Andrea, what I really do, I, I'm a caregiver and I have been for these children and everything else has just faded away. And that's that's where this book comes out of. It's that experience that I've tried to translate into a book and also uh, a five and a half year project where I did a lot of reading and study trying to figure out why is it that pushing 70, I'm happier now taking care of these grandchildren than I've ever been in my life. Far more than when I was in my striving years, far more than when my first novel Portofino did well, far more obviously than when I was gallivanting around the country as a new right sidekick to my father. So in examining that, I've discovered that evolution actually prepped us to only be one thing, and that is love addicts. We all have needs, we all have wants, we all have desires, but if the human interaction between us with other people is going wrong and is not happy, you're done. So you can build your own rocket ship, you can have a zillion dollars, it doesn't matter. Nothing adds up if that part of life goes away. And so because I have some good sciencey friends who teach at a university level, I started sending them this book about why I was loving being with my grandchildren. And they sent me notes and they said, look, you've got to read this. You've got to read that. You've got to read Feldman's study on neurotransmitters and love and why it's a thing. And you've got to delve into this. And I did. So the book is stories about taking care of grandchildren combined with some science told from a layman who got his science checked out by people who actually know what they're talking about. And I gave them final edit of those parts. And then an attempt that to bring it right up to date to today's Wall Street Journal, as it were, to deal with the fact that in the great resignation with all these people walking away from their jobs because they're not satisfied any longer with the work-life balance, they're right. And that is COVID gave us a window of opportunity to see for the first time as a culture that maybe normal is not so normal after all. And maybe putting business in one compartment and our lives in the other is a really big mistake. And you have a lot of frustrated, angry people White collar people insisting now I'm working from home because they experience being home with their kids. Blue collar people saying, if we're going to stock the shelves and nurse and do all this other stuff, you've got to pay us properly. Plus, by the way, we'd like a little bit of help with childcare. We'd like a little government subsidy of our kids. We, we would like a fairer system. And essentially, I didn't mean to do this, but the book in that sense is prophetic because I said the day is coming when none of this will fly anymore. I didn't expect it to all happen at once because of a virus. End of story. I've talked enough. Well, you have set the stage for our audience to ask, so what do you want me to do? Um, lose my job, give up my job, change my life, because you are now taking care of your three grandkids. Should I go take care of my grandkids? I know far too many people who are doing just that. Teachers mm. who have taught for a long time, have made it through the two years and said, I have enough, I'm gonna go take care of my grandchild. Um, people who have said to me, I need another way. I still need to work, but can I find some purpose? And what does that mean? And my clients, employers are beginning to ask, they don't wanna come back into the office, but I want them to. I said, but why? I'm not sure mm. why, what mm. am I missing? And they had a party for one of my clients hmm, two weeks ago. It was a celebration. And everyone came in and they were so happy to see each other. I mm. said, everything has a place here. People miss humans. They want to celebrate with each other. They just don't want to commute. And yes. so how do we re? So it's not about they will come back in. Well, what should they? Because they kill mm. so much time. And staying at home 
they have time to take care of the family and cook the dinner and also get the work done. What is about this great transformation that's going on? Because maybe we can actually save the planet at the same time, because if we don't hurry up, we aren't going to have any air to breathe or fish to eat. There's stuff going on that's transformative in a bad way, but maybe we can move it in a good way. Your thoughts? Well, I, there's a lot there to unpack, but I would just start by saying this. You know, I talk about the work slash life balance. I don't talk about the work or life balance. Right. It isn't an either or situation. And I think it really starts with this. We have to ask ourselves a question individually and as a culture. And of course, there's not a simple straight answer that solves everything, but let's just begin with a question. How do we define success? Yes. And as long as we define success, how we feel successful and vindicated and fulfilled, or how the culture defines success as related primarily to job title and career success, we will never be happy. Not because Jesus said so, or Muhammad, or this prophet or that prophet, but because evolution says so. Hunter-gatherers, as we gathered together early in our evolution, did not succeed because somebody had a corner office or was called CEO or vice president of something. They succeeded because they became tribes of caregivers. Otherwise, you, Andrea, and me would never be having this conversation. We would all be dead. Sure, we are also rapists, pillagers, Holocaust people. We do terrible things to each other. We war, we fight. But we're not only that, and fortunately, most of us are not. And that's why you and I are talking, because we have survived. We didn't survive because we were clever. We were survived because 10,000 years ago on a trail somewhere or in a village somewhere, somebody took care of us when they didn't have to. And so the history of the human race is that not of striving, it's that of caregiving. So when we strive too far away from the caregiving model, with our definition of success, we're setting ourselves in a wrong direction immediately. If, on the other hand, we say, in order to care give, I have to have an income and earn something, and it is for the purpose of cementing and caring for and building the bonds between people as necessary to care give, then we put our job, our career, our education, our striving in the light of an ultimate purpose that is greater than simply the job itself. And that's what we've lost. And so as I see people sort of walking away almost in fulfillment of the prophecy of my book, if I can wax, uh, you know, a little bit lyrical there, um, it, it's not that somehow I got everything right in all the details. It's that anybody could see this freight train coming. Just read the statistics on loneliness that cut right across the board from CEOs all the way down to the guy cleaning the office. Look at the statistics of suicide, particularly in the male population, where Four times more police officers kill themselves by suicide than die in the line of duty. What's going on here? Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's, it's a sort of a duh, no-brainer moment that things haven't played out well with the model we've got. So I'm not calling for an overthrow of the capitalist system. I'm not calling for no more jobs in education. I'm not calling for everybody to go take care of their grandchildren and abandon their career at whatever point they're at. What I am calling for is a new balance that reprioritizes the stuff that really matters and puts everything else second, everything. So the budget in our country has got to first be on a federal, state, and city level spent in ways that reinforce people's ability to have good relationships. That's where good families come from. That's where childcare comes from. That's just a budgetary and legislative matter. When it comes to personal priorities, if you've got a decent job and you're earning a living and you're down the road from your friends and your mother-in-law lives across the street and your life is, is going well, but Google offers you 10 times more money to move to San Francisco, tell them to get lost 
because you already have a life. Stay put, put that priority first. So it isn't an either or situation. It's a question of making the human relationships, which you see in the eyes of the people you love and who love you back, your first mirror, not what's on the paycheck, not your title. That's all I'm talking about. And now a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens, reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books. And you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now back to our podcast. You know, when we were together at that lovely evening, several of the women I spoke to, and I coach, I'm an executive coach, I coach a lot of women, and they all come to me when they're stuck or stalled, and they are asking profound questions, because when you think about work and life, why isn't work life? I mean, there's all kinds of interesting subtleties to what you're saying. Mm -hmm. These women... I said, you know, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm an attorney, but I had to let most of my people go. So I'm doing everything now and I'm doing okay, but I'm not sure I really like this. Hmm. Okay. Another woman, I work for this wonderful firm and I've reached the point where I'm not sure I'm going any higher and I'm not quite sure. It didn't take much more than a minute or two for them to articulate their question about what am I doing Hmm. and why isn't it making me feel purposeful? It's not even successful. Mm. I'm coaching a woman for a year now who's a CPA, an MBA, a partner in an accounting firm, and she never wants to do another tax return. Yes. And and she's ready for another. She raised three children herself. Now I'm ready for something for me, but I don't know what that is. Mm. Other woman who I'm caring for, is, uh, who I'm coaching, is a very successful woman and wants to know why am I why am I unhappy? So mm. it leads to your love, children, and save the planet. What is it that we're men? We, we, we followed in the world of the men, women did, mm. thinking that's the path to something. Um, yeah. My male clients don't speak that way. They mm. speak differently. And somehow I got to figure out how to change, as you're talking, how do I change both the guys and the gals to begin mm. to see something new? that they're going to have to create together. 40% of the children in the U.S. are born to single parents, mothers. Yes. 
And, and that means that 34% of the breadwinners are single moms. Yes. And unless they have childcare, they can't breadwin at all. Mm. And so when you look at that dynamic to your dime, to your numbers, um, that's serious. There are 12 million women-owned business today. That's 40%. Yeah. 10 million of those are solopreneurs. And 5 million of those are not making $10,000 a year. They're side hustles yeah. so they can thrive. There's some profound transformations coming out of this lovely pandemic, which yes. I don't ever like to say, but don't waste a crisis. It's asking yeah. us some really hard questions about what matters and, and what matters, not just for success, but for a purposeful, meaningful life. Yeah. So as you're thinking, are there two or three things that you would really like our listeners to focus on as, and to your point, I mean, you don't have to go take care of your grandkids. Sure. But, but there are, there are things that could begin to give you a better blended life. Yeah. Part of it is making a living. Part of it is making a family. Part of it is building a community. Mm. What, what is it? The kind of things that your book is full of great ideas, a couple that you really want them to know. Yeah. The first thing I would say, Andrea, is I know you talk to a lot of corporate leaders from now and again, and I wish you could put into their brain one thing. If you could tell them one thing that'll make everybody that works with them, happier, women, men, non-binary people alike. <clears throat> and that is that, let's just get it through our heads, that, that women have never been treated properly by this culture of business orientation because they were given a very raw deal. They were told, look, and of course, I'm being a little facetious here because no one said this, but here's the inference. Look, we have a closed male mafia here and we don't want you here at all. And then- Maybe we'll let a few of you in, but you're going to do it on our terms. Hide your pregnancies. Yes. If you're an airline attendant in working for Pan Am or TWA in the 50s and early 60s, if you get married, we will fire you because you will get pregnant probably. And we don't want to even deal with that. From there, it was basically, well, delay having children and, you know, go get in vitro fertilization when you're 47 if you have to. But, you know, if you're serious, we don't want to know about your family. And of course, the sad thing is, is for generations, men had been doing this too. And I just want to add a caveat. This is not actually the tradition of the human race. I grew up in a farming village where men and women were working side by side in the fields. There were no women's jobs and men's jobs. There was the family. There was the farm. There was all the stuff you had to do. And, and the, the division and of the labor was not- the field while the mom and dad were clean. There was no job. And, and, and the division was not gender or, 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 or any of this stuff. The division was simply, there's a job at hand. It's a family enterprise. We've gone away from that where, you know, you can't even live in a retirement center if you're under 55. The kids are in a daycare center. The women are told they have to play the men's game. And the men are not happy. They may be telling different things to you than their, their female partners are. But why did 45% of them say that it was a wake-up call to spend more time at home and they like it? Now they don't want to go back to the office. And part <laughs> of that was available was their exposure to real child care. Okay, so the first thing I would say of things we can do is this, and that is let, let's really put together a movement. And if my book can help it along, that taxes business leaders and government at the same time in the same way that the gay rights movement did in the 70s. And just say, listen, we are not going to be in the closet anymore. As a woman, I am not going to hide the fact I have a family. I'm on the way to do a child school pickup. I'm not pretending I'm in the office. Deal with it. And if you don't, I'm coming after you. I'm going to take paternity leave. This is from a male point of view. And if my job suffers any, I'm going to sue you. And I'm going to work within the company to change policy. Yes. And let me just say something. The corporate leader 
that gets this early and says, guess what? The best daycare in the city is going to be the nurseries we have in our factories and offices run by top quality Montessori trained teachers that are going to have mud and sand and great stuff for your kids to play with instead of sticking them in the screens. And by the way, if they call the office where you're working or the factory floor, you can take a break anytime you want to go to the nursery to help calm your child down. That offers real paid paternity leave and some medical benefits actually gives not women, but men and women yeah. choices. Okay, that's one thing. Secondly, if you're a woman and you're and, and you're listening to this, I beg you to raise hell with people around you and say, since when is the female gender supposed to be the caregiver? Where are the men? And you men, if you listen to me, are crazy if you don't do this, because I can promise you this, all your evolutionary history made you into a caregiver and only Western modern capitalist society denies that. Yeah. You know, if you look at the old Swiss farms or the Italian farms I hung around as a kid, the old grandfather's off there taking care of the kids. At lunchtime, you know, the, 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 the father's coming in and helping with children. It is not it is not this gender specific sort of role. And we've gotten away from that, but it's false. Mm -hmm. So once men, not all men, but many men are exposed through, say, COVID to having to stay home a bit, they get that. So that's the second thing. And then the third and last thing is, look, back to this idea of success. If you were judging yourself by comparing yourself to other people and saying, oh, you know, how does she manage to be a judge and a mother? And I can't manage that. Rather than comparing yourself to the relationship that you have as an ideal with the people you love most and making that work with the job. So it's a cart and horse situation. But putting family first, you're going to find that you're much happier because you sort of give up on that. It's like me. Look, you know, there's no one I dislike so much as an author who's more successful than I am. I don't want to hear about your bestseller, Andrea, if my book falls like a stone into a pond and disappears. I'll give you a very tight-lipped congratulation. <laughs> Um, so I'm just being honest here. So, you know, the way our culture is so brazen in flaunting everything, like we built our own rocket ship. We have all these so-called influencers who all look good and better groomed than me. And they're doing all these great things and they can tell you what sort of lip balm to use and all this other stuff. You can't compete with that. Give up on it. Just forget this whole crazy marathon of, of, of self-destruction and consumerism that's trashing our planet. Instead, put your values in the quality of your relationships. And that's a bite-sized piece. You can work at that. You can get on better with your teenage daughter. You yeah. can get on better with your parent that you've had a falling out with. These are doable things. But if we're looking at the influencers and Jeff Bezos and the sports stars and all this stuff thrown in our face night and day, night and day, night and day, we all feel inadequate compared to that. And none of us can measure up. So put it in bite-sized pieces. Look at the people in your life and make those relationships better. And, and you will be able to find a better place. That's the only thing I can say. Well, I'll add um, just a little bit of hope here. We're at a point now where marriage is at its lowest point in 50 years. Yeah. People aren't getting married. And if they're getting married, they're getting married later. The, the nature of the human being is that we're social creatures. Hmm. And our whole survival, remember there are billions of us and 200,000 chimpanzees. We've done better than that chimps. Yeah. They're not so nice either, but neither, I mean, and, and we're at a very fragile time. The hmm. amount of animosity among people today is scary. Hmm. And, and so if one at a time we can begin to find love and have children and begin to build a happier, safer planet where kids can grow to be happy, nice people. We got a whole lot of work to do, but if we don't, 
I'm not sure what's going to be here for us or for them. And and love, why is love in such short supply? It's very, very disturbing. And to your post-evangelical life, what role does our religion and our beliefs play in creating a platform where people can love each other? That's sort of where I thought those were. And also love each other who are different, not just those who look and smell like us and feel like us. So there's lots of work to do. You, when you said, I hope this is at the beginning of a movement. Boy, I hope so, because there's a whole lot of moving that we've got to do to get us to a better place for the next generation. Mm. And I hope the climate can support us. Yeah, I do too. So with that in mind, where can they buy your book? Uh, anywhere books are sold, as they say, which probably means, you know, a corner bookshop or Amazon or Barnes and Noble. But if they order online from Barnes and Noble, you know, people sort of don't like uh, the big the big chains and they go to the little bookstores or they can order from Amazon. And the good thing about Amazon is you can also write a review there, which helps me. And I just want to add one thing. If you're listening to this and would like me to help out in a book club or any group you have, I'm totally available. I will do this. There's no cost involved. I like talking about these ideas with people, I'm not hard to get to or reach. And I would love to support my book by discussing it with you or any group you have. And the other thing is, is I really have a burden for men who have not tasted the joy of childcare, whether it's a grandparent or a father. And I really believe that feminism is not a social movement or a political movement. It's, a, it's, it's part of evolution. It's like losing our tails or standing upright or, or evolving opposable thumbs. The next step is going to be, here's my opinion, and I say it in the book, the next step will be guided by women or it won't be guided at all. (laughs) And you see a little bit of this, and I talk about it in the book with the reaction to COVID. The countries led by strong, decent women did very well in the first wave compared to the bumptious people like Trump and Bolsonaro of Brazil and all these other guys who put their sort of macho BS on the line and they couldn't lead you out of a paper bag. The women, meanwhile, got on with it and took care of us. And so if we don't take a page from women uh, as males, we're idiots. You know, I have a chapter in the book that talks about how men have been so far the best, the greatest beneficiaries from feminism. Women are still getting the shaft. They're still being done in. They're still being discriminated against. Men, however, in countries where there's a more egalitarian society like Switzerland and Iceland, live as long as women do. And on the actuarial tables, and, and they do better because there's less pressure to 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 be the leader all the time or, or whatever. So, you know, men who don't understand that feminism is the greatest gift the male of the species has ever received are crazy. And men who will not share time with their children as if this is a burden are nuts. I've had some successes and failures in life, and I can promise you I am not alone. David Letterman says the same thing. He now says he wishes he had married younger and had children that he didn't know what life was about until very recently. George Clooney says the same thing. Howard Stern, of all people, says, you know, I was a complete idiot and I broke up my first marriage because I was chasing all these other women. Now I and I have these children. I don't know why anybody stayed with me, but I'm so grateful that finally I have a relationship that works. So, you know, men can learn. I did. Jeannie stuck with me and I changed for her. But I'm the beneficiary. She's Mm -hmm. where she always was. (laughs) <laughs> and, and so I, I just really believe that this is the moment of the woman and women have got to step up and lead. Yep. And so I believe in women leaders and women president and women senators. And um, I believe that if they were surrounded by the kind of men who understand what's really good for them, we would we would be the ones begging them 
to lead us. And we would let them transform our culture into one that was more caring, more communitarian and fair to everyone. So it's a no brainer to me. And that's that's basically what my whole book's about. But the interesting part, Frank, and then we'll say goodbye to our listeners and our viewers, is that you needed an epiphany, Mm. something that that epiphany um, I, I truly preach in serendipity and epiphany. Something in your mind went, yeah. and you saw the world through a different lens. Yeah. And, and, and now you're trying to help others do the same. But we both know until they have that epiphany, it's difficult to know what it is you're talking about. So right. my hope for my listener is that just watch how Frank talks to you. Listen, read his book, but also rethink that relationship with both Children, parents, and 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 women, whether they're their spouse or their partners, but think about your own being going mm. through this great transformation. Do not waste this crisis. It's a time for rethinking who you are, where you're going, and why we're doing it now. Because I too believe it's a great transformation going on here. Mm. Hold on tight, because if we can get these to move over, men and women can talk differently. They can men can really love those children differently. And, and the children can grow up actually talking to each other differently. But mm-hmm. we are at a very important moment. I, I, you know, you go back to the Black Death that transformed Europe. 50 million people died and the feudalism was gone because there wasn't anybody. I don't want that to happen here. But I do know that there's been a transformation going on. And those 40% who work at home now who say, oh, I really like my kids. I really understand what a woman does. I'll keep held and armed because there's some purpose and meaning here. And it's a higher spiritual transformation coming. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me today. It's thank you so much, Andrea. And, and thank you for doing what you do. You know, you're a real leader. We didn't talk about your book today, but um, I, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're on to something here. And I just hope people are listening to you, not just on your podcast, but reading your work and all the rest of it. So I'm honored that you had me on. I really, I really respect what you do um, and, and um, read your book and told you that I found the stories in the book that you just wrote you know, very moving in terms of what women do and all the rest of it. So you and I are very much on the same page and I just hope we can keep helping each other. And thank you, by the way, today for being my caregiver because a writer sits alone right here in this room writing. And if it wasn't for people stepping up, caregivers like you who say, look, tonight I will be your mother and introduce (laughs) you to all my friends, which is what moms do. Thank you. Seriously, Uh, thank you. You are very kind. And we are... um, uh, I, I both have that epiphany that it's time for great change. And I can't thank you. What a pleasure it is to have you here. So for all yeah, of well, your book is called rethink and that's what it's about. I mean, we've got to rethink it. This is don't waste a crisis. I love that. No. And, and these are interesting times to meet interesting people. And I keep thinking about what you're saying and others have introduced me to. So just hang on tight and watch it flow. People say, what do you do? I said, I show up. Life has gone good for us. We've had our tups, yeah. ups and downs, but, but then I need Frank Schaefer. Um, yeah. I want to say goodbye to all our listeners. Uh, you've come. I know Frank has inspired you to aspire to a better life and a better world that we have here, both individually and for all of us. So thank you again. Send your questions and ideas to info at andysimon.com. We'll be sharing this a lot, and hopefully you'll begin to understand why Frank is such a special gentleman and why it's wonderful to begin to share how to fall in love, have children, and save the planet. Why not? You know, you say to yourself, is this so difficult? Why would we do anything else? But we are. So I'm going to say goodbye. Stay well, please, and enjoy the day. Bye-bye.